The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. I wanted to take a second to pray. My youngest daughter is, is pretty sick at home, and um, so my wife and um, youngest won't be here today. And uh, it's been really hard the last couple nights because she's been coughing and she's been un- unconsolable and um, it seems like I only get a few seconds where she'll like really be calm and like fall asleep next to me, which is great. But um, And then also I'd like to lift up a dear brother of mine, the pastor of Kingston Christian Church, Scott Pennington, was recently diagnosed with stomach and liver cancer. Um, it's stage four. And that was just a big shock to the start of my week. And you guys don't know this, but I worked with him at Central Baptist Church in Tacoma for two years, um, about 12 years ago. And so um, just super sad to see a brother go through that. And I'd also like to continue lifting up some others in our congregation as well as pray for protection over uh, the coronavirus as that has caused a lot of... um, wild activity in our parts. I saw pictures this morning of empty ferries and empty monorails, and it was pretty pretty crazy. So let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are greater than any sort of sickness or disaster or epidemic or plague we know that you can stop this. We know miracles are real. And we pray today for healing for so many. God, we ask that you would heal Scott Pennington. God, I just think of his kids that are young teenage years. And I pray that you'd be protecting and guarding them during this time watching over his entire family. I pray for Virginia's mom, Edna, that you would heal her of cancer, Father. That you would continue to bring strength to Dave Frederick, Father, as the doctors have been surprised that he's been walking to his appointments or walking into his appointments. And he's been walking a mile a day, God. That's so good to hear. We pray against the coronavirus. We pray that you would allow us to get through this in health and in safety, Father. I pray your hands over this morning, over this service, and over those that are here, Father. In your name we pray, amen. So here we enter the middle of a story. God has called his people out of slavery and into freedom. They have left, but they have not yet arrived. The journey has been difficult. Many have been lost along the way. Now they stand on the threshold. The promise is before them. What will it take to experience that promise? God has not stopped making and keeping promises. 
God has made an eternal promise to those who are his children. What will it take to experience that promise? So Joshua, at this point in the story, has been called to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Rahab has hidden Israelite spies and has been saved due to her faith. The Israelites have traveled across the Jordan and set up a memorial for God because of what he has done for them. And this is where we find ourselves this morning as we look at Joshua 5, 2 through 12. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land unleavened bread, and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. As you guys can see, we said the word circumcised like a million times, <clears throat> which could trip you up if you were trying to read that fast, so I tried to go a little slower. Um, and I was attempting to think of an example of what's going on, because if we were just to read that fast, I think we would be pretty lost, because it seems as if the story and its action sequence is pretty straightforward and just keeps moving along. So what I want you guys to think of, as we think of this passage... I was thinking of a wedding, or a wedding day. And I was thinking about all the enjoyment and excitement that that brings forward. 
And what is marriage supposed to be a symbol of? You guys are already looking at me like, you're going to talk about circumcision and now you're talking about marriage and this is kind of weird. But anyways, I'm going to repeat a simple wedding vow. I, so-and-so, take you, so-and-so, to be my wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy law, in the presence of God, I make this vow. So, Susanna and I were not a couple that wrote our own vows. However, this is a very special moment because two people are becoming one, and they're making a promise to each other that there's nothing that's going to separate them, right? So that's easy. We're over. That's it. Smooth sailing from there. Dream on. Okay? With time, we not only found out the things we loved about each other, we also found out all the things we did that irritate each other. We little by little forgot the important things we did to gain each other's attention. We made promises that we would have date night once a week. But over the years, work got in the way. It went from one night a week to once every two weeks. And then after a while, it became once a month. And then after a while, it stopped happening completely. And after a while, we stopped talking about it because it wasn't important anymore. We stopped talking about all the fun stuff that we had in common and the things that we enjoyed both separately and together. And the only things that we talked about were the things that we had to place on a calendar or the things that involved our children directly. We were lucky if we got to spend a night talking face-to-face without taking the easy road of watching Netflix, eating a snack, and then going to bed. What was once so important no longer seemed to be. The promise that we once made no longer was exciting, and instead of living for the promise, it was forgotten. And we lost the meaning and the purpose behind the promise we made. And that's a similar story. Because how would we commit and continue our promise to each other? It was through relationship. It was the time that we spent together. It was putting each other's needs first. It was protecting one another. It was talking to one another. It was continuing the conversation of what we enjoyed, right? And that's kind of where... Israel's at in this story and that doesn't jump out to you right away but I'm going to show you how if you are anything like the story I said or anything like we're going to see in Israel the chances are you probably need a recommitment so what I want you to ask yourself today is when is it time for a recommitment And the big idea is God wants to set you apart for his promise. So 
I believe that Joshua 5, 2 through 12 has some clear indicators that would allow us to understand why a recommitment is necessary for Israel. And if we're paying attention, I'm convinced that we're going to identify some indicators that we might need a commitment as well. So the first reason that it could be time for a recommitment is that a promise has been broken. So let's take a look at Joshua 5, 2 through 5. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. In case you guys were curious, circumcision is a physical act where they remove the foreskin of the male genitalia. I'll just get that right out of the way so then we're all on the same page of knowing what we're talking about. And now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. One thing I found particularly interesting is God tells Joshua to make a flint knife and to circumcise all of the Israelites. Flint knives are exactly what they sound like. They are knives made out of stone. The question that we should be asking, or at least the one that I did, was why did they use a stone knife when metal knives were available? But the reason is that the flint knife was made particularly for this specific operation, and it was also because circumcision at this time was not mentioned often in singular experience, but a mass operation involving some instances upwards of 100 people or more at one time. A whole tribe would be hundreds and thousands of people. These tools were made to increase the amount of circumcisions that could happen at once. Gibeath Haraloth is a word that literally means the hill of foreskins. Sounds lovely, right? But why was this important? I'm going to tell you. The men of military age at this point that are being talked about were about 22 years or older. So it's older than the people that serve in our military, according to Numbers 1-3. 40 years had passed, so all the men that were 22 at this time that they're referring to were now in their 60s or older and had passed on. These military men who had came out of Egypt had been circumcised, but all of those born in the desert had not. So what? Why do we care? I'm going to tell you why. Genesis 17, 10 through 14. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you, God and man. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. 
So when we read that first few verses of Joshua, we're like, why does that even matter? Because it's pointing back to a promise that God had sealed with his people through a covenant of circumcision. It would strike you to find out that circumcision was actually a major type of covenant in the Old Testament. The covenant that circumcision represents between God and his people is a Caesarean vassal covenant. I had to look up how to say that word. This is a type of covenant where two parties are making an agreement. It is conditional. A covenant regulating the relationship between a great king and one of his subject kings. The great king claimed absolute right of sovereignty, demanded that loyalty and service, and pledged protection of the subject's realm and dynasty, conditional on the vassal's faithfulness and loyalty to him. The vassal, Israelite, Israel, would have to be faithful to their suzerain. suzerain. This was a covenant that was binding unless the Israelites broke it. A covenant between Abraham and God that was supposed to be carried through generations, but Israel disobeyed God. Instead of raising their children in the next generation to fear and honor God, they disregarded the covenant and lived as if it didn't matter. They would have read that and not have looked into it, and it wouldn't have mattered. The act of circumcision was not a new idea, nor was it a brand new custom. It had rich history between God and his people, but Israel had forgotten. The Israelites, after they left Egypt, were in the wilderness for 40 years. What do you think that time must have been like, that they forgot the covenant that God had provided for them? If circumcision was supposed to happen for all male children from eight days old through all the future generations, why hadn't it? I was recently sitting with a gentleman having coffee in Port Orchard, and he said, man, those Israelites are so dumb. And my eyes just like bulged out of my head, and I'm like, we're the Israelites. Like, we do what they did constantly. God sets up all this great stuff for us all the time. He's blessed us in so many ways, but we don't acknowledge his blessing. We live as if it happened by chance. Or that we were entitled. It's wild. But we can forget. God does something truly incredible. He saves us. He answers prayers. He provides all of our needs. Time passes. And we forget the obedience that is required with the covenant we have made. The first indicator that a recommitment should be made is when a promise has been broken. Have you broken the covenant you have with God? Has time gone by and the promise that he offers you, does it not seem as important as it once did? When Joshua circumcised the next generation, he was recommitting to the promise God made Abraham and was declaring that God was Israel's king and that Israel was going to be obedient to the king. They needed a recommitment. The second indicator that a recommitment should be made is the way to the promise has been lost. Let's look at Joshua 5, 6-8. 
The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us. Notice it's no longer them, it's us. A land flowing with milk and honey. This author is talking from experience. He's experiencing this whole event. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they healed. You would think that having toiled and traveled 40 years in the wilderness, they would have had, at very least, a little bit of downtime to take care of their covenant promise. But they didn't. If you notice, in verse 6, it speaks of the former generation dying before they reached the promised land because they had not obeyed the Lord. And what I was reminded of was the time when Moses smacked the rock. And for the longest time when I was younger, I just thought about, oh, it's because he smacked the rock. He didn't, you know, what, what, what did that have to do with anything? And the truth is, it's that they didn't believe. Look at Numbers 14.23. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised in oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Let's look at Numbers 14.11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? The Lord kept his promise. He kept being the suzerain when the vassal was not being faithful anymore to protect and provide for his people. And we see this evidence in the leaving of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, right? They didn't have a way. He provided a way of freedom. And then not only did he do that, he shut that way to stop their enemies from getting them. The provision of quail and manna in the wilderness. If you remember, they provided manna and then they complained. And they also received quail. But they weren't thankful, right? They just kept demanding more. The crossing of the Jordan on dry ground. But yet the people still didn't believe. Isn't that a lot of provision to happen? Like unexpected and wild provision for someone not to believe? But we do this. We pray and ask God to save us, and he does. He changes our heart, and we draw near to him. But circumstances and situations throw us off kilter, and we soon forget. We stop clinging to the promise God made, and we begin to rely on ourselves. Have we lost our way? Are we seeing all the wonderful things God has done, and are we starting to take the manna for granted? I don't know why I like that statement. I just kept thinking about that one. Have we been incredibly blessed yet forget where these blessings have come from? What things will we hold tight to share with the younger generation and how will we teach them to break the generation of disbelief? 
So the story on marriage, I was thinking about generational sin and the curse because this had lasted 40 years. So it was actually, as you do research, you find out it's four generations of people. And so it kept getting passed down. Instead of finding a fix and going back to God, it continued until this moment. And I was thinking about the story of marriage and it made me think of how Susanna and I are both from broken homes. And how that's what we know growing up. So the temptation to fight, get irritated, make rash decisions seems so great for us. But when it seems we have lost our way, we need to recommit to God and to each other. And we become stronger in our pursuit of the promise that we made in him. So that we can cut that for the future generation. So that Scarlett and Sydney don't know what we know or have not experienced what we've experienced. And they can pursue relationships and freedom. The second indicator that a recommitment should be made is when the, the way to the promise has been lost. Has the promise become dim to you? Do you feel lost this morning? The third indicator, oh, when Joshua circumcised the next generation, he was recommitting to what obedience looks like for those that are going to enter the promise. The promise was for those that were obedient to God. They had finally found their way. The third indicator that recommitment might need to be made was that the things that caused great celebration of God in your life have gone neglected. Now, if you look at verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Gilgal actually is similar to the word roll in Hebrew. This is a place where God was removing Egypt's control over Israel. There were two ceremonies that resumed after this experience in accordance with the law of Sinai, the Feast of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Both were completely significant in setting aside the Israelite people to conquer and inherit the promised land. Here was Israel returning to these ceremonies, a recommitment to God and his plan for them to enter the promised land. It should come to no shock to you at this point in the story that these two feasts that they were acknowledging and celebrating had not happened in 38 years. It was also the first time in 38 years, and I say 38 and not 40 because they did it the first year they had left Egypt. So if you remember, the Passover was to be celebrated the first month of the calendar year. The Passover was when the people of Israel would get to take a lamb into their home for their family on the 10th day of the month. They would bring this perfect unblemished lamb and take care of it until the 14th day of the month where they would slaughter the lamb and take the blood and put it on their doorposts. Any doorpost that had blood on it would be passed by knowing that that house belonged to those that feared the Lord. But any house without would lose their firstborn son. This was a plague on Egypt for refusing to let God's people go. That was quite an event to be thankful for and that's why they would do this feast in remembrance of that. 
This was God's protection for his people. The celebration of deliverance from judgment had very little meaning to the Israelites up until this moment. A commentator said that it was no longer a priority to the Israelite people to celebrate this because of all their ignorance in the wilderness. Their joy in the deliverance from bondage and slavery had become common. Have you forgotten how to celebrate those things that God has done for you? Has your salvation story become common? Joshua's recommitting these festivals to the Lord brought a recelebration of what God had done. The celebration was setting the Israelites apart and refocusing the Israelites to take joy in their God and his great power in delivering them. So what do we do with this information? One, we're going to remember the covenant. And what covenant are you bound to? Unlike the Israelites in the book of Joshua, God no longer desires for a physical circumcision anymore. He wants circumcision of the heart. Colossians 2.11, the NLT says this beautifully, and I wanted to keep it simple. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Remember your covenant with Jesus and honor it. Number two, when you've lost your way, recommit and refocus. There are so many references in the Bible for those that have stopped following God that have lost their way, but whenever they turn back, he was faithful to restore them. God doesn't want you to feel far away. He wants you to come to him so he can restore you. That's truth. So a lot of times when we're living apart from God, we kind of do that thing where we start to hide or we're like trying to like push away. But really what God wants us to do is draw in and closer to him to admit the thing that we're experiencing, even when we don't fully understand it, even when it seems like it would be offensive. God wants to hear that because he's trying to restore us back to himself. And it's not like it's a mystery anyways. He already knows what you think and what you've done. So three, celebrate what God has done. Don't allow it to go neglected. When we remember what God has done for us, it should cause us great joy. He saw our disobedience and our shortcomings, but it didn't stop him from fulfilling his promise to send his son, that if we believe, we can be saved. And I was thinking about two things. One, I really enjoy... Well, I don't enjoy Christian movies all the time. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I think a lot of the acting is cheesy and it's B-rated and it's like, it's all Kirk Cameron and whoever else. And you're just like, man, these movies are just dragging along and I've never seen anybody have such a dull conversation in their life. And you're just like, I can't do this. I, it's just not my life. But, you know, I saw this movie War Room. And I really appreciated this woman's position because what she had was she had like these bulletin boards and what she did was she had a prayer request and then prayers answered. And I thought that was incredible because I bet if we did stuff like that, it would remind us of how God has been great in our lives and promises and things he's done that we can cling to because it would show us practically where he's been evident in our lives. So we would continue to celebrate him because we'd see it. So I really like that. And then the second thing, 
I was thinking about communion and how a lot of times when we walk up to take communion, like I think we have this, I have to be really sacred right now and quiet and, you know, and, and it's really something to be joyful for because he died. Like he's not dead. You're not in mourning. He's alive. Jesus is alive. And when you're remembering what he did on the cross, the, the blood that he shed and the body that was broken, you remember that you have an opportunity to recommit any time you're lost along the way because he's alive. And he desires for you to acknowledge that and be in relationship with him. So you can smile when you eat your bread. You don't have to walk like a quiet church mouse. You can smile and be excited because Jesus died for you and he's alive. And that's a promise we have today. Has a promise been broken? Have you lost your way? Are you neglecting the things that you once celebrated and held so dearly? If so, recommit. Recommitting is a blueprint that is laid out in the Bible for those that have gone their own way. When you recommit, God directs you back to the path of his promise. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just thank you so much that you are alive and well. That you are alive and well in Kitsap County, in Washington State, in our country, in our world, in our universe, God. We ask that you would help us to see you in your plan that we would see your promise and we would honor it, Father. We thank you so much and ask that you be with us the rest of this day. In your name, amen.